You are listening to Three Moves Ahead, the official podcast of FlashOfSteel.com. I am your host, Troy Goodfellow, and with me tonight are two of my panelists, freelance writer Julia Murdoch. Hello, hello. And freelance writer Tom Chick. If I can get anyone a coffee, let me know. I'm actually coming to you live from my living room, and uh, Sylvia is right here. <laughs> yes, it was very fresh coffee, since uh, Tom was entertaining us with a symphony of kitchen noises uh, before the here, show. Here, by the way, she was accused of sounding like a didgeridoo. Here is Sylvia coming to you live. There you go. That's a beautiful thing. <laughs> I think she's got something in her throat. Uh, tonight's show, we're going to talk about two, the two big real-time strategy games to come out this month, uh, two eagerly awaited sequels to quite large franchises. We have Supreme Commander 2 from Gas Powered Games and Square Enix, uh, the sequel to Supreme Commander 1, which was the spiritual successor to Total Annihilation, and Supreme Commander 2 kind of throws the Total Annihilation legacy I would argue, aside for something uh, completely both retro and new. And we also have Electronic Arts Command & Conquer 4, which is even a more radical shift away from, well, RTS design in general. Uh, and the Command & Conquer, I would argue, some of those very core mechanics uh, in particular. One, uh, I think, does a good job. One, I think, is an abomination. Uh, <laughs> care to care to place your bets early, ladies and gentlemen? Yeah, exactly. Uh, that, that's not the... If you don't stick around here, what the abomination is, you'll never find out. Uh, so let's start with Supreme Commander 2, which I think we've all had some time with. Yes. Uh, Tom, did you review Supreme Commander 2? I did, for 1-Up, and I gave it uh, a an 8, an A-, minus, 4 stars, something like that. Okay. Uh, but yes, my, my review is on 1-Up. Uh, and my, re- my review is on Game Shark. It went up uh, today, and I gave it a B+. Plus. B plus A minus that seems about right. I didn't review it at all, but B plus A minus sounds about right. And Julian, you've been messing around with the demo mostly, or did you actually? Mostly, yeah, I did actually buy it, but I have not gotten much further than the demo would have gotten me anyway. But the demo made me actually want to go play it. But but my impression of the demo, I, and I told you this earlier, my impression of the of the sort of first I don't know two hours of messing around with the game was it just made me so wish that I was playing Sins of a Solar Empire. Because now it seems like it shares so much in common with it that I just want all the stuff that Sins of a Solar Empire has brought into the Supreme Commander world. I'm, I, and boy, did, I just wanted the interface more than anything. I, how can you have a game where you have all these kinds of units, especially with this kind of great uh, you know, strategic map, and not have that ironclad uh, you know, left-hand menu that lets you just bop anywhere you want to go and pick all your units at, at the you know, at a single keystroke. Ugh. Well, before we get into all these neat interface stuff, and I think you're right, there are some uh, parallels with Sins of a Solar Empire that I do want to get into. Let's first talk about how Supreme Commander 2 is both similar to and different from uh, the other games in its lineage. So, Tom, if you were to single out the one big difference uh, between Supreme Commander 2 and Supreme Commander 1, what would it be? They took a lot of the gameplay that I, I think was finicky and alienated a lot of more casual players, and they distilled it down into their tech tree. Uh, I, I think that's the that's the biggest change. Uh, there's some great streamlining there. Uh, it forces some decisions, 
and and I, I think I, I hear Julian's comparison to sins of a solar empire, and I agree with a lot of that. But I think there are some very important differences from the way sins works its tech tree and the way Supreme Commander Two works its tech tree. Uh, well, it's a, lot, very... it's a lot simpler to start with. I mean, it seems much more that I actually prefer in some ways the tech tree from the SC2 because it all made sense to me the first time I looked at it. It, it was no, it didn't seem particularly arcane. I didn't feel like I was going to miss something. Right. Yep. So yeah, a, a lot is streamlined. That's really the big difference here. This is a, in my review, I called it, it's, it's, in many ways, it, it, it's a humbler game. Uh, it decides to focus on a few cent, focus on what the game's theme is really about. It's about robot armies smashing into each other, and how do we make that manageable? How do we get you to the big robot smashing as quickly as possible? And that means a lot less messing around with uh, deficit spending of energy and mass and trying to keep this whole intricate system going and memorizing templates for what has re- become a very traditional uh, RTS model. We talked a couple of weeks ago about how old school StarCraft 2 looks. Supreme Commander 2 is also pretty old school. You collect your resources and you spend them and you build armies and you bang things together. Um, that's a fair summary, right? And they're, they're also, they, they do a much better job. Uh, the, the original Supreme Commander could turn out into these really long, uh, games. Like, like epic length. You're there for over an hour games. It could be a stalemate. You don't know. Uh, you, you know, some people are developing nukes and other people have the counter to those. And, uh, it, it, it was huge and the maps were big. Uh, all of that is, as you're saying, Troy, re-engineered to shorter matches mm-hmm. where you make more frequent and more important decisions, uh, and a lot of that is in the tech tree, uh, and then uh, and a lot of it is in the fact that the maps are smaller, uh, that the robots start smashing into each other sooner, um, and you get to yeah. use experimental units sooner. Like there are different levels of experimental units. Give giant you guys, robots. You ahead. guys have played a lot more of it than I have. I, I'm, I'm getting the sense. My I got the feeling pretty quickly that the power level between the sort of early crap units and the experimental units was not as wide as it was in Supreme Commander. I mean, in Supreme Commander, I got the feeling that it was all about getting the end game units because those are the ones that were actually going to win your big battles. And I got the sense here that you could actually do a pretty effective kind of Zerg like strategy where you focused on, on really just maximizing the, your economy and getting a lot of really crappy units out fast and not have to worry quite so much about whether you were like getting the super experimental unit, unit right into the end game. It's, is that accurate? Accurate, or was that just my sense, just in my short time play, short play time? I, I think they want you, and this is part of what the tech tree does. And, and the fact that, as I was going to say before, uh, the tech tree is decoupled from the normal resource model. So regardless of how much money you're making, regardless of how good your economic game is doing, actually not entirely regardless, but right. largely separate from your economic game, you are making research decisions. And you're not having to make that tough choice, which is present in SIMS. Uh, do I build an army or do I spend this money on on tech research? Right. And one isn't right. necessarily superior to the other. I'm not making a value judgment. I'm just saying they took a very different approach in command in Supreme Commander 2. And one of the things this lets you do is, unlike the first Supreme Commander, where you had to layer an economy up through 
the first tier, then the second tier, then the third tier, then experimentals. And it was almost like building a big cake where it needed a big fat layer on the bottom and then a fatter layer on top. And eventually at the top of the cake, there was an experimental. The model in Supreme Commander 2, because of the way the tech tree is decoupled from the resources, is you can just sort of, it's almost like sticking a, an ice pick <laughs> into it. You just make a, a drive straight for that experimental you want. Uh, they let you sort of move just directly into the tech tree in one direction rather than having to build this big fat layer cake that makes for a big long game. Uh, so because of that, Julian, I think, yes, I love the way that if you want to get a couple of really cool experimentals out early on, you can do that. They let you make that right. choice. But there's they, our, they there's don't our, seem super ahead. overpowered either. Well, the, the, I'm not the, sure that the they... early ones, no. I mean, it, but it does take a lot to bring them down. I mean, you think of the uh, the early UEF experiment of the Fat Boy tank uh, thing. Right. I mean, you, you could you have to swarm that thing to take it down. Uh, right. But you, yes, you can't take it down. It isn't necessarily a, a game killer. Uh, it works. Gunships have a lot of fun uh, destroying them. Uh, but the what I wanted to say about the tech tree, uh, Tom's right. I mean, there is there is some economic link because you know you do have to build the research centers. And the more be- research centers you build, the faster your tech accumulates. You and don't have to though, Troy. By the way, no, you don't I mean, have that. That's sort of a booming option. Yeah, you don't, you don't have to build. I mean, you you will accumulate tech no matter what. You will accumulate research points. Uh, build research centers; it'll accumulate a little bit faster, which is good. Uh, but you do have to make these decisions. Do you want to go for? Do you want to do the, the swarming rush thing with powered up tanks, or do you want to go for the uh, experimental, which you know may work, it may not. Uh, you still have to build the damn thing, even if you've researched it. And they're pretty expensive, and they take time to build. So it is a decision you have to make relatively early on. And I think it's one of the great things about Supreme Commander 2 is that these are decisions you almost have to make as you are setting up your base, you have to decide, okay, what am I building towards? What does this tech tree look like? Who am I playing against? What map is this? And you can adjust on the fly, uh, but you're going to have to pay for the decisions you make relatively quickly. And I like that. I like how there isn't this long, slow burn towards an economic crash because you built the wrong template for your energy supporting your mass, whatever, which right. is something I can never get right. Do you, do you think that there are people who are lamenting the simplicity of this? Because I Absolutely. Mean, I, okay, because I, I haven't followed a lot of the, you know, the Twitterati on this. So I just jumped into it and, and really enjoyed the fact that this seemed more approachable and that I could look at the tech tree. And I was like, okay, after three minutes, I understand all of my options on the tech tree. Let's go play. Um, so I really kind of dug the fact that the economy got so much simpler and I felt like I was kind of in control and knew what to do. But I mean, were there people who were really into the nitty gritty of like all that, like dirty laundry under the surface? I would argue that was perhaps the the main appeal of uh, second only to the scale of the game, the number of units mm-hmm. that come out. I would argue that that nitty gritty economy stuff was the main appeal of Supreme Commander. Really? Uh, and it came from a lot of people who were really into total annihilations. Yeah, because, Julian, yeah. no, other RT, no other RTS plays that way. It, yeah. It's it's unique selling point. So it's, it's a little funny that, that gas-powered games kind of lets go of their unique selling point, and they become, in a way, like a lot of other RTSs. But in the process, they manage to make a very good game. Uh, so there's a certain irony there. And, and yeah, I think it does... Uh, I I think it probably will and and is alienating a lot of hardcore Supreme Commander fans. But the fact is, they can still play Supreme Commander. That game still looks good. It still Mm -hmm. plays just as well. Uh, 
So now are you guys are you guys both playing on the PC or did you play on the 360? I've not seen it on the 360 yet. The 360 version just came out last week and I haven't seen right. it. I know uh, Bill Abner was saying that the uh, Game Shark got a review copy of the 360 version today, and he has no idea who is going to touch it because uh, <laughs> he he can't imagine it possibly working. Now I know that. Um, Gaspard Games is actually quite keen on what they've done with it, but you know they've, this is something we've heard before. They all, we've figured out how to make these big RTSs work on the console. Uh, I'm not sure anyone really has figured out how to make a big one. I, I can't this even figure out how to play this on one screen. I mean, to me, one of the great things about Supreme Commander, and, and the reason I eventually just forked over the money and bought it for the PC, uh, for, for Supreme Commander 2, is that these are the only guys who have ever, other than the flight sim crew, actually designed a game from the ground up to use multiple monitors and they actually give you enough scope and enough units that it can be really useful to have one monitor zoomed in on one part of the map and the other monitor zoomed on another part of the map and i really dig that whole like i'm in the war games control center feel to it and the idea of taking that and then squeezing it down onto my tv just i can't even imagine <laughs> what what size monitor versus what size tv screen do you have julian well no i mean <laughs> i have a perfectly nice tv and i only have 22 inch monitors but 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 i've got two of them and and you know i'm sitting a foot and a half away from them <laughs> the, the first game really did because you could play and and this could be this is a criticism for some of us but you could play the first supreme commander from that total zoomed out view yeah. looking at all the little tiny icons and there was never really any reason to get in there and look at the work that their animators did, which was kind of right. sad. They, they, they made all of these cool little robots, and you could just play with icons. Uh, and I think that's one of the things that the sequel serves better, yep. is because the maps are smaller, because you don't necessarily feel uh, pressured to make sure you're looking at a big, huge area, and there is that little mini-map in the other right-hand corner, you can get down in there and enjoy the graphics, you know, see things as something other than the little tiny shuffling icons. Well, you could make the same argument about, I mean, I don't want to turn this all into Julian really just wants to talk about Sins of a Solar Empire show, but um, you can make the same argument about Sins, which is you play that game entirely in the sort of strategic view where everything is very abstracted. Um, Here's an important difference, though, I think, Julian. Sins, that's true. You can play it at that mm-hmm. large level, and it's a beautiful game, and it pays off to go in there and, and look at the ships. But the thing about Sins of the Solar Empire is they're very long, epic games. The pacing course, yeah, is its own stately thing. So a lot of what I think you're expected to do in Sims with other in Sins of the Solar Empire with the otherwise downtime is get in there and look at how cool the ships are. Exactly. That's, that's exactly. another thing with Supreme Commander 2 is it doesn't have that kind of downtime. Right. It's a very snappy, quick game. You know, you can I think it's built to be one of these lunch hour games where you get in two matches while you're while you're on your lunch break. Uh, and and the visuals, I have to say this about the visuals. I remember when Supreme Commander first came out, it kind of dragged my machine down to a crawl, trying to play it on two monitors at the same time. And I don't know whether it was my processor, or my video card, or whatever, but but it was a, it was a it was a heavy lift for my machine at the time. It doesn't seem like a heavy lift now. Um, and and I wouldn't say that the graphics are like some sort of sea change in RTS graphics or anything like that. And in fact. I feel like the the design of the individual units almost has this delightful retro quality to it. I almost feel like I'm playing Ogre, like these big angular tanks and everything. <laughs> and it feels great. I love the feel of that when you're really zoomed in. It's just it's that totally unrealistic mm-hmm. sort of 
it it actually I think outdoes Warhammer 40k at feeling like Warhammer 40k in a way. Well, one reason that uh, it runs so well on relatively uh, old machines is that uh, Gas Powered Game did not upgrade its hardware for three years because of financial issues. <laughs> According to Chris Taylor at a talk, he gave a dice. He said, you know, we haven't upgraded our hardware in three years, so, you know. So we had to develop for machines we could run on. We had to develop for machines we could run on. And, well, also, uh, they, they've been using this engine for a while. And even, even Demigod runs very well. Yep. I mean, they, they've yeah. got a solid tech, and they've been working with it long enough that it feels just really optimized and fluid. And, uh, you know, it's, it's really funny to think back to... Uh, how I used to feel about gas-powered games when they were doing those like Dungeon Siege games. Uh, I, I was like, oh, these poor guys, you know, they're they were coasting for so long on how awesome Total Annihilation was, and they've come to this. And with, with Demigod and Supreme Commander too, I'm just I, I love the work these guys are doing. They're, they're just some of my favorite RTS developers over there. It was just me or many of the maps, especially in the campaign, uh, reminiscent of uh, Demigod maps. Yeah, huh? there's definitely that vibe, isn't there? With, really? Well, I'm thinking, Julian, have you seen you, this? May not if you're limited to the demo, you may not have been able to see right. this. There's one map where it's basically two platforms over a bottomless chasm. No, I haven't seen that. But that definitely that, that you already yeah. told me sold me on it being like demigod. If yeah. that's the case. Yeah. And and there are these sort of uh, thrusting like walkways pointing towards each other from each uh, platform, uh, and it does have a very demigod feel. But what it also does. And here's another thing where I think there's a lot of smart work in Supreme Commander 2. So each side starts on a separate side of this platform. So you're like, oh, well, rats, of course, this game is going to have to be decided by air power. (laughs) Uh, But that's not the case because in each tech tree, each faction, and I love how the factions have personality now, Mm -hmm. has a different provision for either jump jets or teleporting. Uh, You you know, they all have the the air transport stuff. Um, So so they're, they're... it's for this map. There's gameplay within each tech tree for getting across that chasm. Oh, and one side has that's right. I forget which one is it. The Cybrids. They have this cannon that literally fires units oh, the, <laughs> across the, the, the map. That's the high. That's one of the high level UEF ones. Uh, the the UEF the right. Noah cannon. Yeah. Uh, so that's that's their that's one of their options for getting across the map. And what it is, it's a little barracks, and you build up to twenty. I, I think units. 12, 20 units at a yeah. time. And then once it's at any point, you can say, hey, spit these units over here. And they literally, you see the unit, and it's got a little uh, sort of re-entry jet casing on the front of it. It goes flying across the map, and before it hits the ground, this casing fires a retro rocket and and parts from the unit. And there it is, uh, having jumped across the map. Uh, back one, so of the, that, one of the campaigns, that's one of your secondary objectives, build this unit. And it, that's really the only way to actually win uh, that campaign scenario is to build this cannon and shoot it up in these high-level spaces that are sending out transports and planes to kick your ass. You've got to get up there, uh, and you can't drive past the defenses. So you've got to fly to them. And right. The air defenses are too strong, so you send your uh, ground units up. And it's really a neat little unit. And I like how you say that the factions have personality because they finally really do. And part of that is because the tech tree is so clear and so centralized. You can just take a look and say, oh, well, that's who the, this is who the Illuminate are. This right. is what they're good at. Uh, oh, they, have, they don't have a navy, but they have amphibious land units. Okay, that, how does that change my cost dynamic? How do the Illuminate end up this way? Um, and that's 
such a big difference and big improvement, I think, on what I think is it's still not, you know, a mythology or a world that I have much buy in for. Um, this isn't StarCraft. This isn't Warcraft as far as, you know, building a world I care about. But it's certainly much better uh, than in the original Supreme Commander. And I think it's a big step forward. We, we, yeah. I can't let that go. You, you really, you really have like deep feelings for the StarCraft world. Well, no, but okay. but at least I know. But at least I know. But at least I know what they are. At least I know what they. I, I, I know what a Zerg is. I know what a Pro. Yes, that's true. That's I mean, true. If you were to ask me, you know, who were the Supreme Commander factions in the original game, I'd have to look it up. And plus, the StarCraft yeah. world had, through gameplay. There, there's so much personality in that each of the three sides has very different gameplay, very different personality, and you get a sense that they're from very different sort of mythos or background. Uh, StarCraft is just I, – I, I don't – I would never read like a StarCraft book, but playing the game, I get a sense that these aren't just you know factions that are contrived around gameplay. I get a sense that these are different kinds of creatures, and out of what they are emerges this gameplay. It's this weird – cart before the horse thing uh so supreme commander 2 gets a little bit further down that road nowhere near as good as starcraft no Uh, they uh the the campaign also you know they try to tell the story and it's it's not very good but but the campaign like you were saying troy with the mission with that cannon you know it's this typical campaign where they're trying to with different missions show you specific units and how they work uh, in yeah, the experiment. This is your air mission. This is your sea mission. Right. This is your new air mission. Yeah. yeah. And the story's not very good, uh, but I do like some of the missions themselves. I mean, they do present little, ta- even if there's like one right answer, it's a tactical puzzle you still have to get through uh, in one way or another, and you can win some of them by, you know, breaking the rules and doing different things. And it's... There's some does it, neat does addition it get particularly design. hard? I think so. <laughs> the campaign, yeah. yeah. The campaign has some pretty brutal missions, especially towards the end. Um, like cheaply hard, though. Not like challenging hard, like, yeah. oh, I really want to try that again. Hard, like, F this mission, I'm never playing this again. <laughs> um, that's bad. Now, you posted today on Fidget, Tom, that they're going to do some work on the AI. Yes, yes. So they, they pulled back a guy who I presume was working on it wasn't Kings and Castles. It was some other unannounced thing that they uh, that they're doing at Gas Powered, and, and they they put him on uh, Supreme Commander Two AI patching. Um, so they're clearly doing, I think, a good job with post release support, with letting the community know, hey, we're working on these things. Now, Troy, you and I talked a little bit about the AI. Yeah. I think the AI is really weak in a skirmish game if you just rush it. Like it's really easy to take advantage of it early on, but over the long haul. I'm mostly happy with the AI Are in you? terms of how in terms of how it will build a variety of units, in terms of how it will use different abilities. Like it seems to know the tools of the game fairly well. But now, what was I, your I, sense of the AI's support? Like like when you're actually like I, I was quite frustrated with my naval units that I would give guard orders to say my submarines to go protect a carrier. And they pretty much would just no matter what I would do, they would hang around behind the carrier and let the carrier get shot. I was like, well, that there's doesn't a weird... strike me as guard. 
there's there's a weird thing with how you have to position the units with each other, yeah. Julian, and using the patrol, and yeah. there, there's a whole kind of vocabulary with Total Annihilation Supreme Commander. Yeah, well, it just seemed very micromanagey, and I was sort of oh, expecting yeah. mm-hmm. slightly more than that. I mean, you can't send a big, giant set of units out and expect them to perform effectively. You kind of have to get in there and say, no, 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 you guys stay back. Okay, you guys go to the front. Yeah, there, there is still a lot of, you know, standing sit of units, you know, sitting around, not attacking obvious targets exactly. in the area in some exactly. cases. I mean, the, the air air power I find does just fine. The air, the bombers and fighters, the land and the, the land they'll do all right. Um, well, I, I think, I, yeah. I kind of disagree, because I think if you if you just drag select a big old mess of units and you give them an attack move, you know, behind the enemy, which is right. the standard RTS thing, uh, I, I think they acquit themselves pretty well. Right. Uh, I, I've been pretty happy. Now, now, it's the sort of thing, like, Julian, if you want your submarines to be in a line in front mm. of, say, your your cruisers, that kind of thing you might have to manage. But if you just drag select things, they will arrange themselves into a formation. They will. Yeah. And if you then give that formation, you can make sure that it moves together to one destination. That's very good with shift clicking. Although, is it is it alt? Maybe I'm thinking of Command & Conquer has alt instead of shift to queue up units, right. uh, to queue up commands. But you can queue up commands, and it, 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 it does a pretty good job of keeping things together and not having guys hanging back doing nothing. I find uh, well, on, when that's good for attacking. When you, attacking is great for defense, I find, very often. You'll have a group of tanks just sitting around. Uh, while they oh, get yeah, hit yeah, from yeah. behind, um, which is problematic. Where the bombers will do their job. The bombers will hit anything uh, in the radius. So they're always flying around. Now, I haven't had a lot of luck with the skirmish AI being all that good. I mean, unless you choose it, you let you, you pick a hard AI, and you let it cheat or you let it turtle. If oh, you, well, that, I'm, I'm kind of saying, yeah. Like I would you let the AI turtle. If you let the AI turtle, it'll be really good, because I think Subcom is a very turtle-friendly game. Uh, more so, I think, than many other RTSs, because the defenses are, they aren't impenetrable, but they're rigorous enough to give you a little basic defense that you get yourself together. I think it's one of the more turtle-friendly RTSs out there. So if you give the, give the AI a chance to turtle, it knows what to do, and it'll actually put up a bit of a challenge. Um, but any other standard AI, and certainly if you're going to play it on normal, you're just going to pick up a lot of bad habits, um, when you go online, because the normal AI is really, really weak. I, I mean, I can't imagine how bad the easy AI is. Well, they, if I'm not mistaken, there's a there's a tier from like, like doesn't it, it's like easy, normal, hard, insane, and then doesn't each one also have a has, cheating it, option or it has a turtling option? It's a turtling and option, and there's right. there, there's easy, uh, normal, hard cheating in each right. one of those so, is a turtle. And I'm assuming when, when I when I'm talking about the AI, I'm talking about playing on cheating. Okay. <laughs> like like I'm I'm talking about making it as hard as you can, and and even you know I presume it's got some sort of a combat role bonus or resource bonus. Yeah. Uh, so I'm definitely assuming that that's the case. So the, when, to make sure I have caveats out there, because that's really the only way that I've found much of a challenge. I just want to right. make sure our listeners were clear that you know the normal AI is not very good. Uh, it won't give you really what won't show you what the game can do. Yeah, but I think once you master the system for an RTS, you basically want to be playing it on the hardest level that you can without without losing to some egregious resource bonus. Right. Uh, that, that's sort of been my feeling most of the time. Um, so, yeah, it's not great. I'm glad they're improving it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm glad. I, I'm looking forward to a, a matchmaking system. It's kind of weird to see the the new the, the new way that RTSs play is you get in and like Halo and you press a button and you're you're matched with someone of your skill level. You know, it, yep. it, it, we come to expect that. Uh, and they're adding that in as well. 
I'm looking forward Something to that. StarCraft 2 does very well, and there's really yep. a show, Blizzard's again leading the way in that sort of stuff, which is good to see. I'm glad they're finally going to have one. Uh, and can we have, I want to take this moment to say, people, do not have no rush for 20 minutes in your online games. It's really lame, okay? There is an option to set that in Supreme Command. There is, it is lame. For it's how long before you fight? But what that is, Troy, I think I agree. It's like, like for, I agree it's lame. I don't like doing that. But some people just want to throw big fat armies at each other and not worry about the calculus of rushing, booming, or turtling. Yeah. You know, those early decisions for the opening moves, that's a huge part of, of any good RTS. Yeah. And some people want no part of that. They just want to see things blow up. So I was on a four player, just a random multiplayer game to test it out and see how it went. And we were on these four platform things and, of course, the guy who was my teammate decided to quit halfway through. It was to be two against one. I was going to lose anyway. But no rush meant that I couldn't leave my circle for 20 minutes <laughs> with all these excess mass nodes out there. I couldn't use them. Um, oh, is that how it works? Is you can't? Because I've never even tried it. You yeah, cannot leave you, a certain a circle, region around yeah, the there's a region. Thing. And then here I am building this army. And oh, of course, that's lame. It's like you live inside the Logan's Run Dome or something. Yeah, and that was it. And so, oh, great. The other guy's just not bothering to build an army. He's just saving everything up to build four King Cryptors. And that's it. Then he well, runs you across. should build four King Cryptors as well. That's what I should have done. I should have done that. But I was playing like a real game. Uh, so I was an idiot. Well, you know, you can, uh, and I'm not sure how I feel about this. Uh, I was talking with a friend of mine from Quarter to Three on a podcast that we do about Supreme Commander the other day. And, and we talked a about... a link to that podcast at the bottom of this podcast. And uh, my friend's name is Abilio. He, he lives in Switzerland. He's a Supreme Commander fan. Uh, and we were talking about how... You know, to get mass, Supreme Commander's economic model is there's mass and there's energy. And you basically pay a certain amount of both resources for any unit. So the the limit for energy, you know, there is no limit. You just build energy generators. And the more you build, the more energy you've got. It builds up. There's no storage limit. But to get mass, you have to build mass converters. So it seems the, the way the game wants to work is you have to go out onto the map and build mass converters on the nodes, so your mass income is limited by how much of the map you control, exactly. ideally. But that's not how it works. What you can do is build up a huge surplus of energy and then build mass converters. Now, you right. have to unlock them on the tech tree. But mm-hmm. once you've built mass converters, you can just instantly switch 1,000 energy. Only, they're not all the way down the end of the tech tree, though. They're only like halfway down, aren't they? Uh, it's different for each race. But yes, Julie, oh, you can okay. definitely do yeah, that yeah. fairly early. It's and, not like... And it, it's not a cheap technology. You've got to spend a lot of – there's a lot of uh, cost in the intermediate steps, like six or seven energy credits per uh, – or research credits per tech before that or something. Because you have to research uh, increasing re- in energy income, re- increasing mass income, and the like. But, but the thing I like about it is yep. for a short game like this, for a game that's built to be played in 30 minutes, this is clearly the boom decision. Yep. You know, if you are going to boom and do that, if you're going to try to build up a lot of energy and unlock that tech for mass converters, you're deciding to boom, to just hold off and just put all your resources into a massive economy boom. Uh, and I'm okay with that. You know, mm-hmm. I, I don't necessarily feel that it's a shortcoming because the maps are smaller and the games are shorter. Yeah. Uh, it, it's clearly that tactical choice. Do I rush, turtle, or boom? Uh, so, 
just another little smart thing I think they've done. So I will admit this game was a surprise to me. I did not expect to like it as much as I did. Because I'm not a big fan of uh, Subcom to begin with. I, I respected the game, thought it did some really neat things. It was You could not but admire its grandeur and size. Uh, so a smaller version of that really, well, once you take the grandeur out, what have you got? And it turns out it's a pretty damn fine uh, real-time strategy game, as traditional as it is in so many ways. Uh, I really, really liked it, and it was a surprise to me. It was a surprise for you, Tom? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, <laughs> I, I, was, I was kind of down on the first Supreme Commander. I mean, I, I appreciated it, but it wasn't my cup of tea. And from getting – this did not make for good demos, Troy. It did not. Uh, yeah, so – Because we saw it at E3. We were in the same room. We saw it at E3. Well, we the, the demo yeah. itself sold me on buying the game. I mean, the actual, oh, no, no, I meant, I meant like a press demo, demo Julian. Yeah. I yeah, meant like a demo. demonstration. Right? Yeah, I can totally okay. imagine as an over-the-shoulder, this would seem exactly like Supreme Commander 1. Well, even because they, they would have, they would say, you know, they would want it to look like Supreme Commander 1, but they would have to confess things like, you know what, we're not doing that unique economy anymore. It seemed like a dumb SC1. Yeah, and that's a mean way to say it, but that's, I gotta admit, that's kind of what <laughs> I'm I a mean person, so that's fine. <laughs> uh, but yes, it was a huge surprise, and, uh, I'm just, I'm just really pleased with it. Uh, I, I think it's, I, I think it's, it's a, it's a, it's a very well done RTS. But is it a, t- it is clearly not total annihilation, and if you're a big fan of those games, you're probably not going to appreciate what they've done here, if that's what you're looking for. But if you want, you know, an, really an old school, uh, good looking real time strategy game, uh, that's, you know, qu- quick to play, has some really great stuff in the research tree, some pretty different factions, um, giant robots, giant robots banging into each other, uh, I highly recommend, uh, Supreme Commander 2. I do not recommend, Command and Conquer 4. Uh, I'm still working. I'm shocked. I'm yeah, shocked. I'm still, <laughs> I'm still working on my review for it. Uh, it's a game that I'm really having a hard time motivating myself to play anymore. I was about to say, do you have to finish it for the review or do you get a free pass? I've got to finish it. I've got to, fi- ah! I got to, I got to figure out what happens to Kane. This is, this is when you, this is when you decide that game reviewing is a way worse career than gas station attendant. <laughs> having done both. Uh, it's no, it's not as bad as uh, pumping gas. I got some really nice tips pumping gas. Nothing like speaking <laughs> French to tourists to get you those tips. No one's going to tip me for playing Command and Conquer for uh, Julian. You have not played this. I no, because I honestly, I, I mean, people I, I I know, love, and respect told me that I should basically pull my testicles off with a rusty spoon before I play this game, and I couldn't bear to actually go buy it just to talk about it, so no. Now, Tom, you reviewed this one as well. I did. this, And actually, while we were uh, while you were talking, I looked up my scores because people care about that sort of thing. I gave a Supreme Commander a B, and I gave a Command & Conquer 4 a C-. Uh, so yes, and I, I reviewed both of them for, for one up. Uh, I will link to both uh, at the bottom but of the podcast. Can, but can I can I can I preface this conversation by saying the number one reason I did not buy the game because I couldn't I, I don't have EA has been hard for me to get anything out of lately. So the only reason I didn't buy it was because Jeff Green, who works for the company as a like dedicated, paid, and self acknowledged shill for EA, could not actually finish game single player because his internet connection kept dropping. 
and tweet and, and was making Twitter comments about that. And I'm like, I live in the middle of nowhere in the country in rural Massachusetts. There is no chance in hell that I get through an hour long game without the slightest blip in my Internet connection. Yeah, it's one thing we have to say is this has uh, this is a game that always has to be connected uh, to save any progress, really, because it tracks your accomplishments, tracks your experience. And this is the big design decision uh, they made in Command and Conquer 4 is that you have to level up before you have access, even in skirmish, you have to level up before you have access to the high-powered units uh, on your tech tree. So the game has to track you leveling up and gaining all that experience. Uh, and right now, that is my single biggest problem with the game. Now, I haven't read your review, Tom, um, but I'm wondering, is was that an issue for you, this whole experience gaining and keeping... Because you've often seen RTSs as, as toolboxes that players have access to. And I have this visceral reaction against any kind of locked-out content. I really hate yeah. it. Uh, was this an issue for you, or were you okay with that? No, this was the issue, and I think it scuttles what is otherwise not a bad design. I, I really like parts of Command & Conquer 4. And actually, now that I've unlocked most of the units, uh, I appreciate the gameplay, but I think this is a terrible way to, uh, to, to mark the game progression, to try to make it feel more like an MMO. It's a terrible DRM scheme, you know, where you have to be online all the time, presumably so it can track your, your progression. Uh, but, but yes, you, like I, you mentioned toolbox, but I think more is like a toy box. Like right. you open the toy box every time you play an RTS and you choose what toys you're going to use this round. Right. And in Command and Conquer 4, you don't get that option. You have to pay literally hours of game tax. You have to play this game literally for hours before you get access to the whole toy box. We, now, should, the way we, they, should, we should point out this isn't like a new thing in games. It's just kind of a new thing in in RTSs or in strategy well, games, because my favorite game lately has been Battlefield Bad Company 2 multiplayer, which has this in spades, and I should hate it for precisely this reason. I, I think that's an important distinction, though, Julian, is that when you're playing like a shooter or an RPG, uh, and, and I think these elements in shooters are drawn from RPGs, there's this idea that as you play, you're rewarded with more gear, more toys. Right. Uh, you know, you're in the world and you become more powerful as, as you play. And I, I don't think, and, and it goes over the long haul. And I don't think that works very well in an RTS, which should be a self-contained 30 minute to hour long experience. You know, the, the arc of progression in an RTS is starting on the empty map and then conquering the map. By the time you conquer the map, you should have access to all the content. Right. Yeah, you should. The toy box should be wide open for you. Uh, and it's a little bit different when you fold in an RPG element in a shooter or an action RPG or something. So, but, but the battlefield, you're right. This is a this is a huge trend in 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 game design. And those Call of Duty guys, you know, they started it off with unlocking the perks and the weapons. I think that was where it really hit big. And now it's spreading to other genres. But, and I feel. The, but but the difference is that this is this is an entirely separate game design challenge making that an okay thing because done right 
that sort of mastery unlock increase of power thing is actually really engaging and sure. interesting as mm-hmm. a player. I, I, I dig it. That's why I play World of Warcraft, right? I mean, well, let me let me give you an example here, Julian. This has been done before in RTSs, and it's been done right, and it worked very well, and it made this game that I'm about to tell you about one of my favorite single-player RTSs for the longest time, and it worked in uh, Age of Empires 3, where you had say, all of the toys I, at your disposal, but you unlocked new bonuses for them. Your right, home city were these new cards. It's exactly. It's and, and Demigod does this, too, to a certain extent, because you sort of buy these upgrades that you get to carry from game to game. And, and ah, right. We, good call. Very good call. But when you do it right, it's like a little bit extra, which is fun. When you do it wrong, you feel like you've been robbed of the game. And you have to unlock the game that you just paid for. And you feel like you're living in some puritanical society where you have to earn your fun. Right? And yes. you yourself up by your bootstraps, Julian. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but the real the, the real shame of it is that, you know, I think once you hit uh, about level 10, and I'm guessing that to hit level 10, and there are two factions, there's the GDI and Nod, yep, the, you the, have to level them up separately. Yep. Uh, so to hit level 10 in one faction, I am guessing would be maybe five hours of gameplay. Uh, and And it's not, that is the point where you unlock... Tier two, there are tier one, tier two, and tier three units. Oh my god! Once you get those tier two units, you start to get some of the cooler mechanics, and you get more interesting choices within the context of a match. And I feel the gameplay, uh, you start to see what they wanted to do, and it even starts to work a, a little bit. Uh, but yeah. that's just that, that's a terrible obstacle to, to expect people to get over to, to see what you've done. Um, they they also make it a little hard. It, it, it's so fundamentally a team-based multiplayer game. It this is. This is almost directly, this is almost a direct part of the world in conflict gameplay, where each player chooses one of a sort of paper, rock, scissors class, uh, and then your team matches the other team, and you fight each other, and your weaknesses are, are uh, compensated for by other classes' strengths and so on. Um, and as you, instead of an economy, you can just spit out units as quickly as you can make them. You know, the only resource is time. Right. Uh, so your units get killed. You make more based on what killed your units. Uh, it's very fluid. They've done a good job with the pacing. I think they avoided the crazy, just hyperkinetic pacing of Red Alert 3. Uh, units die a little bit more slowly so you can see what's killing them and why certain things aren't working. Um, I'm still in the yeah. early going. I don't have a whole lot of experience built up yet, and I'm finding it actually still pretty frenetic, largely because um, until you get you know some pretty high-powered units, you have all these little slow guys running around, picking up Tiberium and running it back to your base. They're running up to get more Tiberium and running it back to your base. <laughs> and it's now, like this... So, Troy, I don't know if you know this. If you, if you haven't unlocked much stuff, there's no reason for you to be doing that yet. That <sighs> Tiberium, when you hit 10th level, I think, yeah. one of the upgrades that you can buy is Tier 2. Right. And that's going to cost you five of those crystals. Uh, so if you don't have that yet, Troy, then don't bother carrying that Tiberium around. That's like a sub game yeah. for people who are higher levels. So I, I have a question as the guy who hasn't played this at all. Like my entire experience with CNC4 is based on videos right, and reviews. So I've, I've heard from a couple of people, and Tom, I read this in your review as well, that, that the one thing about the CNC series that I actually really loved all along, because I've never been a big fan of the game as like, oh, this is the best strategic game ever. I've always dug the camp, Michael Ironsides, the cameos from the chick from Battle 
Battlestar Galactica, that stuff, and and all of the shtick that went with that. And I've heard from numerous people that basically this game is no longer funny, either in a self-aware way or in a B-movie way. They've consciously I, tried to make it less campy. I spoke to the yeah. developer in an interview, and it was really intentional. They wanted it actually to be a serious game, so we really understand uh, what Kane is all about and get his motivations. It's oh, a Battlestar God. Galactica. Does anybody yeah, really give a shit what Kane's motivations are? I mean, come on. Well, you know, Julian, he is. I don't, and I understand you don't, and I'm probably Troy doesn't. But, but you know, he is a, an enduring character in yeah. video gaming. I mean, bless Joe Joe Kukin, is that his yep. name? Bless his heart. The guy, uh, he has a very healthy sense for how silly it is. Has uh, he been the same actor the whole time? Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. He was That's one of the early developers from Westwood, I believe, wasn't he? That's awesome. Yeah. Uh, but points so, for that, at least. And, and some people do care and there's a lot of lore and you get the feeling playing the campaign. And in my case, being completely lost, that there is a lot of lore <laughs> here and that they're, they're telling the story for people who care about the lore. Yeah. Uh, so it, it's all, it's, it's basically fan service, Julian. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, but I, I, I mean, I played all of the other CNCs. I played most of the red alerts along the way too. And, and it's not that I actually could tell you anything about any of the stories. I just appreciate that kind of B movie goof. And if they got rid of that, to me, if you put a bad game alongside getting rid of the B-movie goof, I can't find any reason why I'd want to play this. Well, it's, yeah, if if you're in it for the B-movie goof, it's definitely not, it's not going to uh, work for you. Yeah. Uh, uh, but the thing is, I really do, like, I wouldn't say it's a bad game. I would say. Give it a C-. minus. Well, well, from the, well, let me, let me, I wouldn't say it's bad gameplay. I would okay. say it is good gameplay hobbled by some really just trashy business decisions. You know, you know, EA really killed this game. Uh, and, and I think there's some good design here. You know, there is room for more games to do something like World in Conflict does. Yep. And, and when it gets right down to it, that little crystal stuff that Troy was talking about, I love that aspect of the game. When you first start playing, and this is one of the maybe advantages of it, but when you first start playing, you don't have to worry about any of that. You just build your tier one units, you throw them into the teeth of the enemy, you earn some experience, you sort of get a sense for the paper, rock, scissors. But once you get higher level units and you want to play with these toys, you then have to play that crystal sub game. Now, there's no economy here in a meaningful sense, and you win the game by simply controlling points on the map. If you control more points than the other guy, your score starts going up. When your score hits 2,500 points, you win the game. Sort of like what so a, a company of heroes does. You know, exactly, exactly. Uh, and and so, so that's the basic fundamental uh, – how, that's how you interact with the map at first. And at your level, Troy, that's really all you need to yeah. worry about. But once you've unlocked things, like what I've mainly been doing as Nod is they get these hijackers – and the hijacker units, they're little infantry dudes, and you send them into a swarm of vehicles, and each one, and I love how they've done this, if you give them an attack move into a swarm of vehicles, they'll single out separate vehicles, and they'll start hijacking them, and they'll take them over, and then those units become yours. Uh, and it's not as micro, it doesn't, you don't have to individually select one hijacker and one tank. So early on, you know, the game's been out like a week or so now, people love building up a bunch of tanks. 
So I love meeting their tanks with a swarm of hijackers because in many instances, they haven't unlocked the hijackers themselves yet. They're not at that point. And then suddenly the swarm of tanks they've got belongs to me. These are now my units. So this is what I've loved doing as Nod. However, before I can play with those hijackers, I have to unlock tier two, which involves getting five of those crystals that you're talking about, Troy. So for me at a higher level, I have to play a separate sub game about going out, grabbing the crystals and then carrying back those things to our spawn point. Uh, So there's a separate layer of gameplay there uh, that I have to do before I can get into playing with my hijackers. Uh, and I really like that. I, I, you know, World in Conflict doesn't really have anything like that. No, it doesn't. I think you're right. There is a, there is room in the model for class-based uh, gameplay. And I can see how this capture the flag crystal race uh, could be interesting if you do have some people playing the support class or playing the defense class. Uh, then all of a sudden, those little differences actually do seem to matter. Uh, but that all locked behind this experience gathering model. I just wonder how many people are going to stick it out. And that guy whose tanks you hijacked, is he just going to say, well, you know, I'm not going to bother playing this for another 10 hours just so I can get that. Is he going to do that, Troy, or is he going to say, that jerk, now I'm going to unlock hijackers? And I I don't know the answer to that. EA would love for him to say that. Uh, But, yeah, I worry about how that's just going to alienate people. You know, this game ideally should let anybody who wants to play with the hijackers play with them off the bat. Yeah. Or at least learn them in single player, and then if you want to level up online, that's something else altogether. And just you know what? Yeah, Troy. Yeah, I. Yeah, I'm with you there. I would love so so shooters. Julian, you were talking about Battlefield. Uh, I know Bioshock Two, the multiplayer, has that same Call of Duty thing. Right. I wish that we could play skirmishes or against bots with everything unlocked. And then well, if we want to I go agree. into multiplayer games and and that force us to level there, mm-hmm. I, I would love that idea. Uh, I see that I, would work for me. To me, I, I I agree because I sort of feel I, I rebel against that puritanical you have to earn your game thing, especially with games costing as much as they do. Um, you know, from everything I've heard, CNC is really restricted until you put that time and energy in. Um, at least with Battlefield Bad Company Two, it's not like you're a total idiot for the first hour. I mean, you're well, a total some, idiot for the first some, some of us minutes, are total idiots every hour, no matter what. But 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 I think this is like this is the new game design challenge of you know the next five or six years, which is is these non MMO developers learning the right balance between the carrot and the stick, right? And and making people feel like they got good value for their game, even if they only could put in six or seven hours. Yeah, I think that's a real challenge. Yeah. Yeah, and and we'll see. You know, it, it, I'll be curious to see what the player base ends up like. I suspect that there are enough Command and Conquer fans who I, I mean, I don't I don't know the overall uh, like is it, are people angry at this? Uh, are Command and Conquer fans just eating it up anyway? And I, I don't know the answer to that, but I'll be real curious where this game is in, in a month. Uh-huh. I, I will say, since I've reviewed it, I, I've still played it a few times. I mean, I sort of, I don't know how much of that is, well, damn it, I spent all this time unlocking these damn units, I'm going to use them, uh, or how much of it is the fact that I'm really digging the gameplay. It's a little bit of both, maybe. Um, uh, there's so much to play, I can't imagine digging in. Well, I have to, because I'm being paid to. Actually, I had to buy, the, I had to pay this. I, I had to buy this game, because EA did not send me a review copy. Uh, but I figure I have to play it anyway for the show, so I might as well buy it. 
So Troy, have you been leaning towards uh, Nod or GDI? Like uh, I'm a GDI guy. Equally? And so okay. for myself, I'm a GDI guy. I've been spending most of my time in the campaign to begin with. Um, and have and, there been any unlocks where you're like, oh, cool, look at this unit, I like this. Like, has there any been anything that's worked for you, kind of like I was talking about with really. the hijackers? Not okay. yet. Not yet. We'll, we'll see what happens if I can put in some time tomorrow. I have to still do some planning uh, for PAX this week, but I do hope to spend a couple of hours in the game tomorrow. And which way do you lean in terms of uh, – so, so you've got offense, defense, and support classes, uh, you know which what? are very different. Are you leaning one way or the other? Not yet. Right now I'm still experimenting a bit. Um, I've always been more of a defensive guy. I've always been more of a turtler. Um now, I have to say they're kind of misnomers. Yes, uh, they are. Way. That's what I it's found. It's basically offense is vehicles, defense That's is infantry, infantry. And, su- and support is air units. Yeah. However, that said, uh, only defense can build turrets, yep. and support gets these weird uh, sort of spell powers um, that they can use. And you, you've got a little uh, – you've got support points that build up over time, and you can basically spend – they're like mana, and you spend them to cast debuffs and buffs and healing and build little turrets. And uh, and, and unfortunately, that stuff – the interface is mostly very good, but I wish those support powers were a little bit more prominently built into the interface, like along the top of the screen yeah. or something. They, they really hide those, uh, which I hate. Um, yeah, so far, it takes a lot for me to get motivated to play it, but uh, Bill, Ab- Bill Abner just doesn't pay nearly enough for me to level <laughs> up uh, a character. Another problem I have with it that I want to say with that leveling up, Troy, yeah. it's really stingy with the experience. So oh, yes. You, you level up, it, it really does want you to play the campaign. You get a, a hugely disproportionate number of experience points from playing a campaign mission, mm-hmm. but in a skirmish or multiplayer, you basically only get points for every unit you kill. Yeah, and, it's, and it's like five or six experience. It depends on the tier of the unit, right. I, I think. Uh, for instance, when and now when my hijackers hijack a unit, I get bupkis. I hate that. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I don't get experience points for that. They also do, they trick you. So they'll do a little thing where you're playing, and maybe you're using like flame tanks or something and the flame tanks burn down a bunch of things and a little message comes on screen that says, congratulations, you get the burn baby burn badge. And you're like, oh, cool. And it's like plus 100 experience points. And you're like, and you, and at the end of the match, uh, you're given that award and you can click on it and it says you burned, you know, 10 enemy units. So you get this badge and you get this experience point bonus. So you're thinking, oh, cool. This is an incentive every game to to try different things. You know, if I'm using the flame tanks, every time I burn five units, I get a hundred experience points. However, it's a one time thing. You can never get that badge again. It's not like a recurring award that you get for playing certain ways. It's, it's an, an achievement. achievement. An achievement. Yes, exactly. But if they had built that in there as a little bonus to, to, you know, play with my flame tanks and therefore I get a little bonus experience points when I reach a certain, yeah. a certain threshold, that would have been a really cool way to mix up how you earn experience. Yeah. Versus support, you know, you get a bonus, you get one of those little achievements for healing a certain number of units. Why can't that be a recurring thing to encourage me to play a healing role? Because once I've done that once, I get nothing for healing units in this game. I can play a game, and this is how they want you to play, where I build nothing but healing units and I follow around the other army. That doesn't help me. That does not advance. That doesn't get me into their advancing experience point and unlocking units overarching game. So why would I ever want to do that? I, I just think that sort of some of that stuff is just so poorly implemented in the game. Uh, well, I hope that I do eventually get to know this game 
I do because I do play the game enough to actually learn to appreciate some of this stuff. But I fear that once I've played through the campaign and have done some leveling up uh, next week, that I'm just going to be um, uh, Julian just distracted me. Uh, oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> that you I'm have just, no multitasking skills at all. <sighs> I don't. Not at this hour. Uh, that I'm not going to. Uh, be sticking around all that long once I've turned in the review, I've really got to motivate myself. To, well, okay, let's see what the rest of this tech tree is. I've got to certainly play enough of it and unlock enough of it to give this game a fair review. Uh, but it's a, it's a grind, and I'm not used to grinding in an RTS. Yeah, yeah. So hopefully I'll have the inclination later on uh, in the year to maybe try some of this out, and maybe the expansion will change things, assuming there is an expansion. Uh, well, I, I think clearly there's going to be, I'm guessing, a third faction, you know, the Skrin. There are no Skrin. So Command & Conquer 3 had GDI Nod and yeah. the Skrin. And there are no Skrin in Command & Conquer 4, because I'm guessing, yeah, expansion pack time. No, we'll see what happens. Uh, some business. Uh, this week is PAX East. Dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun, dun. Yes, I've, so I've got a lot of planning to do. And, of course, my schedule is a mess, because I'll be showing... Uh, a friend around the floor showing her, getting her back into the whole games media thing, making introductions, lots of parties, lots of appointments. And now we've got to plan uh, the Three Moves Ahead Sunday brunch. I have been soliciting requests from my friends in Boston. Where's a good place to go for brunch near the convention center? And people are saying, don't go to brunch, go to dim sum. I said, well, let's do brunch. Uh, it's what I'm doing a subway thing. Um, so the details, it will be at 10 a.m., on Sunday, somewhere, uh, the 28th of March, location to be announced both on my Twitter every day until the event. I will announce it on my Twitter, and it will be on uh, my blog, prominently linked. I'll try to keep it at the top almost every day. TMA meetup, here's a location, here's the time. Please come and see us. We'd love to meet you. Who's I have to be there. It's going to be you, me, and Rob. You, me, right? Rob, and a couple of other people at least. Right. Uh, well, some, no, I mean, I know I'm bringing some people too, but yeah. I meant of the people who've actually been on the show. People actually, uh, uh, Jen Cutter might be there. She's been on the show, the Gender Gap show. Uh, she was, she's the person I'm showing around, reintroducing to the games media. So Jen may be uh, at the brunch, depending on how hungover she is from Saturday night's festivities. Uh, and maybe Tiffany Martin, since I know she is going to be uh, at PAX. Love to see her. And whoever else, anybody who's been on the show is, of course, welcome to, to be there. And anyone who listens is, of course, welcome to be there. Location to be decided. I also need to announce, because uh, I forgot at the top of the show, this is the obligation I made for the Stitcher Radio Network. Three Moves Ahead is now available on the Stitcher Radio Network. What is the Stitcher Radio Network? Honestly, I don't know. Gamers with Jobs is on it. You didn't know that? No, I have no idea. Stitcher Radio I just show up, man. I don't know anything. Stitcher Radio Network is a free podcast service for mobile phones. If, in case you don't want to have iTunes, you don't know how to update your iTunes, you sign up to Stitcher, pick a podcast, and it'll download automatically to your Android or your uh, iPhone. Golly. Yeah, it's very neat. And they uh, apparently people have been requesting Three Moves Ahead on Stitcher, so we're into a partnership. So for the, a few weeks, I said I would announce the partnership, so here we go. Third uh, and last, uh, I have begun selling cups and mugs for coffee. No beer steins? Beer steins as well. You can get through the head beer steins. 
for Flash awesome. of Steel, Flash of Steel mugs and Three Moves Ahead, Steins, uh, and the like are available. Um, I get Troy, 10% Troy, commission. What, what yeah. about little uh, espresso cups? I don't think they have espresso cups. Oh, rats. Okay. They had espresso cups. Uh, I would totally make them. There, uh, There's a link to the Flash of Steel store uh, below the Amazon ad on the right sidebar. On Flash of Steel, it's a Zazzle store. Uh, yeah, it's a terrible name, Zazzle, but they've got a great great range of products. Uh, I may end up doing some shirts or something, and I will certainly be buying uh, mugs for the entire TMA team because things are going through the roof here. Uh, Troy, can I make a suggestion for what we should have on Zazzle? I think what we really need is a Troy Goodfellow plushie. <laughs> great. Complete with little wire glasses. That would yep. be great. Absolutely. They have plushies. Let's see. They have mouse pads and hoodies and aprons and ties. I'm I think sure there's for enough money my wife would knit a Troy Goodfellow plushie. And I think there would be a demand for that, Troy Goodfellow, just so you know. I think a lot of people would like to have a little plushie Troy Goodfellow in their house. I know to I call, would. To call their own, yes. A little <laughs> Troy to call their own. <laughs> plushie Troy Goodfellow. <laughs> God. See what I put up with every week. Uh, <laughs> next week, we will be moving back into the past. We'll be talking about a... The plan is, assuming we can get Mr. Garrick, to talk about a classic game design of the past, one we have referred to, one of Tom's favorite games, and one he thinks uh, whose design solved problems that some strategy game designers are still fighting because they're looking at the wrong influences. And I'm so glad to have an excuse to play this game over the next week, too. I I love when we do something like this and I can play an old game, and I'm like, I'm doing this for work. (laughs) We should... If I had the time, if I wasn't going to be a... Actually, I could probably play some on my netbook. We could do a play-by-email game. Because uh, that worked so well with Dominions 3. We just need to play enough. Say goodnight, everyone. Good night, everyone.